This is I Was There, gigs that changed the world. Oasis have split, and according to Noel Gallagher, this time it's for good. The record company nor the band would make any further comment. Oasis has touched down in Australia in a storm of controversy. Brothers Gallagher may never tour again. Their tour of America got off to a disastrous start. The new album by the pop group Oasis has at last reached the shops. Thousands of pop fans are glued to their CD players with the latest Oasis album today. You know, we could go totally, totally the global phenomenon after this. Oh, this is where the backlash will start. A quarter of a million devotees flocked to see Oasis at Nebworth over the weekend. And by all accounts, it was an impressive event. Episode 5, Oasis at Nebworth, the 10th and 11th of August, 1996. I'm Mike Lowe. I'm uh, the director of Britannia Road Productions. We provide sound equipment and engineers and technicians for live events. And we first started to work with Oasis, I think, in about 93. We had been Oasis's sound company for a good two and a half years. So we were doing all of their shows so Nebworth was, you know, a continuum of what had been going on. I think that year, 96, they'd been working pretty hard up to it. We started in January. Towards the end of the month, we, we started a US tour. Came back on the 18th of March here and did um, a European and UK tour. So we ended that early April and then back to Canada, Vancouver on the 10th of April that year and ending in Austin, Texas on the 21st. And then straight back for the two big shows at Main Road, Manchester, on the 27th and 28th of April. And I think, as we all know, I mean, Oasis had just catapulted from clubs, places like King Tut's in Glasgow to Main Road, Manchester in two and a half, three years. The whole thing was phenomenal. And then uh, over that, you know, probably two and a half years, it was a real fast roller coaster ride until we arrived at Nebworth. My name is Andre Barrow. I am founder member of the Bootleg Beatles, and in 1996, I was playing George in the band, and we were invited by Oasis to play the wonderful Nebworth concert. Oasis first came into our sphere. We were playing at Southampton Guild Hall in December 94. But what had happened was Oasis were playing the next night at Southampton and Liam came, their then road manager came, I think Bonehead came and the drummer. So we were playing at Southampton Guild Hall. Pack night was a great night. And Liam was all in white, sitting on the stage, facing the audience, conducting them during Revolution at Hey Jude or whatever. And we met him afterwards. He came backstage. He was great, he was just being himself. And then afterwards, with the Earl's Court shows at the end of 95, I think Richard Ascroft was going to do a solo set. And for whatever reason, he didn't. So somebody had the idea, ask the Bootleg Beatles, and we did those two nights, and that's how it all came to pass. And they'd gone really well, so I think we'd struck a really great relationship with Oasis. Obviously, they're massive Beatles fans, all of the band. So I think it was just a, a kind of a follow-on from Earl's Court. 
We were very excited to do Nebworth. It was a great honour for us. We were a little bit trepidatious, but we were quite confident at that phase of our career, the mid-90s, that we would really deliver on the main stage. You know, we thought we were on the top of our game at that point. Hi, I'm Claire Sturgis, and I was at Nebworth to watch Oasis. I went there on the Saturday. The tickets went on sale, I think, back in the, sort of the springtime. This was happening in August. And the percentage of the population that applied for tickets, I think they could have played Nebworth for many, many more nights. Was it about a month? I don't know. But a ridiculous amount of people wanted to go. It was just the size of it. I'd never seen anything like it. Who thinks that they can put on a gig like that and carry it off? Well, Oasis could. It certainly had to be right. I mean, to start with, doing 125,000 people a night on that site, that's absolute capacity. Even many of the great shows that had happened at Nebworth before, Pink Floyd, Zeppelin, Genesis, etc., etc., I could be wrong, but I don't think any of them rammed to capacity. So this was quite phenomenal. There was a sense of history because obviously with Led Zeppelin playing and whoever else had done Nebworth over the years, the significance was, was massive. But I think at the time, it was undoubtedly an amazing day and it, that weekend would go down in history. And we knew that from the ticket sales before we'd even played a note. Yeah, I mean, obviously the rise of the band to that size, you know, to that, that phenomenal ticket application, it was always going to be, you know, something very, very special. The anticipation was, was big, but also there's that element of like, oh, what if it's not going to be as good as we want it to be? You know, can they really do this for two nights in front of a quarter of a million people? But they did. In July, we went into rehearsals and then um, started the run into Nebworth. Oasis were always loud, always wanted to be loud. It was that kind of high energy music. Their audiences wanted it loud. So being a big site, but knowing that it, it needed to be high energy, we needed to put speakers out into the field. And in the case of Nebworth, we actually had three circles of delay speakers. So I remember, I think one at 75 metres, one at 150 and one at 225. These speakers were rigged on towers and a lot of the towers had video screens on them as well because the further back, the smaller the band got <laughs> visually. And I think we had 13 delay towers in all. And I don't think anybody put that amount of delay towers into Nebworth. Yeah, no, nobody even really thought of it. But for Oasis, we all regarded it as an imperative for there to be high-energy audio everywhere in the field. Yeah, I remember up on the right of the site, back towards the 175-200 metre area, there was a definite hollow in the ground where start with nobody could see and if you couldn't see that definitely needed sound and I remember the early conversations with production and saying well if people can't see there then we'll leave it because they'll go elsewhere and I looked at this more and more with 125,000 people and went back to them and said I don't think there's anywhere else for them to go so it was a good challenge and an absolutely fun show to do from that perspective you know as we always say nobody goes home humming the lights or the video the sound's not good if the sound goes down, it's all over. <laughs> we 
just did the first day. I think we kicked off about two o'clock, did a half an hour set. And it was a magnificent thing for us because we were the first band on. So we did the sound check last in true concert tradition. And so we were on stage sound checking when they opened the gates. So to see thousands and thousands of kids belting across what looked like five counties of Britain towards the mosh pit or whatever it is at the front was an unbelievable sight, like a tsunami being released. And it was a brilliant moment. The atmosphere on the day of Nebworth was absolutely stunning. There was a real feeling that it was a, you know, once in a lifetime event. That's backstage and from the audience reaction. And we just had half an hour to do and we're playing the greatest music ever made, the Beatles music. And we were doing All You Need Is Love and Revolution and finishing with Hey Jude. So we had a great armory of songs and the reaction from the crowd was just fantastic. Bearing in mind, this is at two o'clock in the afternoon and the thing was going for a whole weekend. It was a beautiful atmosphere. Hey Jude is a British anthem and it just resonated and went on. And in fact, it was funny because I read an interview with the Chemical Brothers about a few months later anyway in Q magazine and they went on after us and they said their abiding memory was that even by the, their third song the crowd was still singing Hey Jude. It was fantastic that we went down so well. I was there sort of in a professional capacity because I was working for the BBC at the time who were broadcasting from backstage. But I wasn't having to work and I still to this day don't know how I managed this. And I think it was the management, the Oasis management, booked me a limo from my house in Camden all the way to Nebworth with my then boyfriend. And we arrived and we were taken backstage so I went and met my work colleagues who were working and just went and had quite possibly one of the, the best weekends of my life. I've since found out there were about 7,000 people on the guest list for Nebworth. I can't confirm that fact, but I've heard it was 7,000 people across the weekend who were on the guest list. I was one of them. What disappoints me is there's so much of it that I don't remember now. I do remember being backstage. I do remember seeing Liam driving around in a golf buggy, crashing into people. I remember seeing Robbie Williams, because he was very much part of their gang at the time. The atmosphere amongst the groups backstage was absolutely brilliant. Yes, Liam was driving around on a golf buggy. I was, I, and I witnessed that, yes, dangerously, I might add, with uh, Patsy Kensick clinging on for dear life. And he was not just king for a day, but he was emperor. There's no question about that. Liam was on splendid form. It was just really busy backstage. It was quite chaotic. It was full of music industry people trying desperately to be really cool and sidle up to a Gallagher or Bonehead or someone if they could because the band were mingling around. The backstage was full of people trying to be cool and trying not to look as excited as they were inside. I was just mad for it as Liam would have said. And of course, when you go out to the front, you're in the front part of the crowd. All the paying public were way back at the back. So I'm very aware that I was very, very, very privileged. I think the atmosphere beforehand was 
one of just anticipation and also the atmosphere was a lot of people thinking, I can't believe I'm here because it was a small percentage of people got tickets from whoever applied for them. So I think it was anticipation, it was excitement, it was drunkenness because, you know, people got there very early. And then when Oasis came on stage, it was just about 125,000 people dancing and singing along. It's just incredible. This is history. This is history. Right here, right now. This is history. I'd been on site for some time during the construction phase. So I spent most of the show actually walking the site, making sure that we were covered, that things were balanced, going back to our system engineers at the front of house position, you know, saying, I think, a bit of wind blowing, you know, what kind of adjustments we could make there. So, yeah, I spent most of the show actually walking the site and monitoring the system with my ears, basically. For me... Seeing Oasis at Nebworth, it was just one big sing-along, which was great. They just played all the hits. They played all my favourite songs. I think they started with Columbia, which was just, yes, here we go. It was an Oasis' greatest hits even back then. From memory, they did two very good shows. My memory is that the dynamic between Liam and Noel is, is legendary. That was part of the package. There was no nonsense. They, they did those shows very well. They behaved. <laughs> and so they delivered. They did kick ass. I mean, there's no question about it. It was, it was phenomenal. And uh, I think everybody there knew that it was uh, something very special. Unique is the wrong word, but, you know, it was a very extraordinary vibe in a positive sense. It was so good, and they were at the peak of their career because Oasis told us it was so good. Oasis, mainly Liam and Noel, told us it was going to be the best gig of our lives, so therefore it was. Their ego, their arrogance, and I say that with love, they believed the hype, they made us believe the hype, and we all got caught up in it. But they had the talent and they had the songs to do it. Basically, it's down to the Gallagher brothers, Liam's wonderful stage presence and Noel's amazing songwriting. They've made two unbelievably brilliant LPs and had a charisma and a swagger that not many bands matched. We were very much in the moment. None of us were filming it on our phones. I haven't got any photographic evidence that I was there at all. You just have to believe me. If you were there, you know you were there. I remember thinking, I'm probably never going to go to another gig like that. So that's what I take from it. It, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for me. This was Oasis, and this was, yeah, something that was never going to happen again. I think the other thing that was a, always a great part of Oasis was the audience itself. Always got the impression that, you know... Liam really loved the audiences because they were looking at Liam. And um, Noel loved the audience because they were responding to his music, which kind of amazed him. 
So the audience as well were very much a part of an Oasis show. It was a two-way strata. It was a very fast rise in terms of the look of a moment, the look of Oasis with the untucked in Ben Sherman's and that hair. I mean, that went on for years around there. At bootleg Beatle concerts, you'd look out and see 400 blokes in button-down gingham shirts with Liam Gallagher haircuts for quite a while afterwards. Oasis were very important to the 90s. They captured the mood. But it was so immense and almost unbelievable. And now looking back, I can't believe it actually happened. And I think as they walked off stage, Noel in particular probably thought, yeah, I can't better that now. I would like to think he probably thought, yeah, there's no, there's no going back now. You see, Noel's very astute. He knew. He knew what was going on. He knew that it was probably the pinnacle of their career. So I think that's why he said this is history. It was very hard to ascertain that at the time. But yeah, it was. It was the zenith. Liam and, and Noel had two and a half, three, three years beforehand. You know, we're the greatest rock and roll band in the world. And I think Nebworth was the realisation of that on those two days. And it was the peak of Oasis, those two shows. You know, after that, it was going to be by no means impossible, but it was going to be hard to peak like that on many, many levels. I think it was the pinnacle of the career of this band, Oasis, this massive band. I think it was kind of downhill a little bit after that. Not in a bad way, but I think they couldn't do any more after Nebworth. They couldn't get any bigger, any better, any more bloated as a band. So I'm so pleased I was there to experience that and then get the limo home as well. Was it the pinnacle of 90s music? Look at the quality of groups at that point. They were current groups. Live Aid was amazing, but it was Bowie coming back. It was The Who coming back, Queen coming back. But this was all current groups, apart from the bootleg Beatles, who was a brief half an hour to the past. This was all about now. And I think that's a really crucial thing about Nebworth, it was very much about bands happening at that minute. So anyone buying records or interested in music then, it's easy to define in your mind that era. It was actually the end of an era. It was the peak of an era. And it sort of peaked with a rock and roll band. I think it was a defining moment. You know, apart from the, the dynamic between Liam and, and Noel, I mean, so many other things came together in, in such a short period of time, you know, uh, for Oasis, right place, right time, uh, and, and right people in a very compressed period of time. And all of this stuff came together and it rose like a mushroom, which ended with Nebworth. I do look back on it fondly. I think the main thing for me is that it proves the bootleg Beatles were on the map. It wasn't a small act that just did some cabaret and didn't ever make it into some kind of mainstream. It's great to know that you were really a part of history, music history. You wanted it to be so good and you were slightly thinking, oh, maybe it's not going to be, but it was. And now looking back, realising that it was never going to be as good, that was as good as it got. It was never going to be like that again. And I don't think any band has ever or will ever be that big ever again. Noel Gallagher. Well, 
people do play Nebworth and have since done more gigs than us, but I'm not sure a band even, you know, where's the gang of lads who's coming to form a band on a council estate and to somehow do it all on their own terms on an independent record label and become the biggest band in the world. You know, that means inspiring a generation in your own country. That's the easy bit. But, you know, inspiring a generation in, in America as well and in Italy and France and Japan and Australia, you know what I mean? All the thing that you've seen at Nebworth, that happened all over the world. You know, we were playing stadiums everywhere. to Claire Sturgis, radio presenter and Nebworth attendee. Andre Barrow, George Harrison in the bootleg Beatles who opened Nebworth, Mike Lowe, Oasis sound engineer and contributions from Noel Gallagher. Don't forget to rate and subscribe if you enjoyed the podcast and make sure to share I Was There with friends. I'm Sophie Kay and this was an Absolute Radio production. Next time on I Was There, gigs that change the world. The most iconic music festival of all time. One that all gigs are now compared to. At this point in my life, to have something like that in your own personal history, if for nothing else, it's great to tell the kids. It was an honor. The more I realize what a phenomenon it was, it was pretty special for sure. People don't talk about 15 different festivals. They talk about one festival where it all came together. It's Woodstock. Woodstock.